We're continuing in a series today called Leave Your Native Country. Uh, There's a a grandma in our church that shared a story with me not long ago. She said that her little grandson got up one morning, uh, Sunday morning, right? I don't think it was as cold as it is today, but uh, a Sunday morning, got up and ran in to his mama, said, hey mama, they need me at church. We got to get up and go. I said, man, that's a smart kid. Hey, the truth is we need you at church, all of you. And so uh, if, a little, if a little kid can figure that out, right? Hey, it's the truth. God, uh, God really does something when we're all here together. So it's so good to see you guys. Um, today we continue in the story of Abram. And Abram, his name gets changed to Abraham. He's the father of the Hebrew nation, the Hebrew people, the Jewish people. He's the one through whom the Messiah comes. And so in a real way, because of his faith, because of the calling that God placed on his life and his response to that calling, we are here today worshiping Jesus, our Savior, the Messiah. And so we're looking at the life of Abram because we can learn from his life how God works in the lives of people. What is it that God does? How can you tell when God's uh, speaking to you? Right? What are the signs of his evidence or the evidence of his uh, um, presence in your life? And so we're learning uh, by looking at Abram's life uh, how to see God at work in our life. And so if you want to turn to Genesis, let's see, we're in chapter 16 today. Uh, we're moving forward in this story. We're going to look at uh, uh, one of the lessons that Abram learns in this journey of faith. We are called to be people of faith. We're called to follow a God that we cannot see, though we can see the evidence of him. We see uh, his work in the world. Uh, The Bible tells us, and and certainly we know it's true, we can look at creation and see evidence of God, the creator. And so we certainly know that he exists and we learn about him through the revelation given to us in the scriptures. And so, um, but Abram was new to following God. When creator God came to him and called him out, he didn't know him. His father didn't worship creator God. He didn't have a family legacy of doing that. Maybe you're a first-generation Christian. Maybe you're, you're the, the family you, you grew up in did not worship the God of the Bible. And so you're that first generation, and you're learning, just like Abram did, to follow God so you can pass on a legacy. And so with Abram, as we've been tracking this story, you know, you've noticed, and maybe you can relate to this, there are good weeks that Abram has where he follows God, he responds well, he passes the test of faith, and then there's bad weeks. Now, you probably don't have good weeks and bad weeks, but Abram does. And so maybe the person next to you does. Maybe you notice that there's weeks where they do good, and then there's weeks they don't. But Abram has good weeks and bad weeks, and this week is one of those bad weeks. He, uh, he doesn't do the greatest job here at, at uh, stepping up and living by faith, but let's be reminded that our failures teach us more than our successes. And so Abram learns a lot, I'm sure, from what we're going to look at this week. But um, we step out to follow God into the unknown. We've got to learn an important lesson. There are no shortcuts. There are no shortcuts to the fulfillment of God's will in your life. No shortcuts. Um, it is tempting to try to force God to do what you want him to do in your life. It's very tempting. Take control. Try to force his hand a little bit. Get him to do what you want him to do. It does not work out well, though. And you've probably learned that. It doesn't work out well when you try to force his hand. 
Um, he is God. You are not. It's one of the important lessons in life. There's a God. I'm not him, right? And so, uh, and so God is in control, and he does things according to his will, according to his timeline. And he does know what's best for us. So when we try to take control, we muddle things up, and that's what we're going to see today. In order for us to trust God and, and, uh, and go along with his timeline, we really have to learn and add to our character patience. There's two things that people don't really care uh, to hear from the pulpit, all right, preacher? <laughs> you know, two things, typically. One of them is about forgiveness. Don't tell me to forgive that person. You don't know what they did to me. You know, like that's tough. And the other is patience. Uh, Christians make this joke, never pray for patience, man. God will give you the worst week you've ever had. That's how you learn patience, you know. And so we joke about this, but it's true. It's hard to add patience to our character, and none of us really like it. You know the old saying, patience is a virtue. Catch it if you can. Seldom found in women, never found in men. Right? You've heard that one? Yeah. Yeah. It's not true. It's just one of those jokes. But, but here's the thing. Um, in our text today, we're going to see how God works with Abram and Sarai in spite of their lack of patience. And it's a beautiful thing. I just want to encourage you that even on the days and the weeks when you don't pass the test of faith, God doesn't give up on you. He's going to continue to work in you. And just remember, we learn. As we fail, we learn sometimes more. Sarai grows tired of waiting for a child. You'll remember that God has promised to Abram the land that he now occupies, the land of Canaan. God says, I'm going to give you this land. He also says, I'm going to make you into a great people. I'm going to give you as many descendants as there are stars in the sky and sand, grains of sand on the seashore. Just so you know, that's a lot, right? That's a lot. And so God has made this uh, tremendous, bigger than life promise to Abram. And yet Abram problem. Abram doesn't have a child yet. He doesn't have a son. He doesn't have an heir. He doesn't have anyone to pass on the family name. And so Abram and Sarai grow tired of waiting for God to fulfill his promise to them. Even though God has promised a son, he's promised millions of descendants, right? Abram and Sarai grow impatient waiting on God. Let's read in Genesis 16, starting in verse 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had not been able to bear children for him. But she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, The Lord has prevented me from having children. Go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. And Abram agreed with Sarai's proposal. So Sarai, Abraham's wife, or Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian servant, and gave, gave her to Abram as a wife. This happened 10 years after Abram had settled in the land of Canaan. Ten years in, the promise of God, it's not happening. Sarai uh, comes up with a plan, presents it to Abram. It involves her servant, probably a servant she picked up in Egypt. She's an Egyptian anyway. Her name's Hagar. Hey, listen, uh, Abram, let's try to have children this way. It's not working the way that we're, that we're doing it. It's not working. Waiting on God, as I said, can be difficult. This can be hard. Waiting for a job or a promotion or opportunity can be tough. Listen, God, would you please provide that? I need that. And yet it doesn't happen. We wait. Waiting on a spouse. Um, it can be hard. 
desire in my heart is to get married. God, why won't you bring someone? Why isn't that happening? Waiting for a breakthrough in your marriage. There's a struggle there. And you desperately want to see God do something, yet year after year go on and, and there's no breakthrough. Waiting for a wayward child to come back to God. It be incredibly difficult and hard to wait for that. Waiting for rain or snow, moisture, right? We can't make that happen, yet uh, many of us rely on that. We all do in some way, uh, so that we have, we have food, we have provision. A quick note on patience is that waiting can be painful, but taking matters into our own hands will not produce the good that you want it to. It's been said that patience serves as a protection against wrongs, as clothes do against cold. Might be able to relate to this a bit right now. For if you put on more clothes, as the cold increases, then the cold has no power to hurt you. Right? Add another layer, add another layer as the temperature goes down, and you can still stay warm most of the time. <laughs> patience works in that, in that way in your life. So in like manner... You must grow in patience when you meet with great wrongs, great difficulties come into your life. You need more patience. You've got to grow it as that intensity increases. And then those things will be powerless to vex your mind or to hurt you. We're talking about, uh, in our church here this year, we're talking about discipleship. It's kind of our focus, and we, we're looking at four chairs of discipleship. It's kind of our metaphor, right, for our walk with God and the calls of Jesus on our life. And the first chair is the chair to come and see, uh, to check out the claims of Jesus. Chair two is to follow, to move from being a, a seeker, if you will, to being a follower of Jesus. Look, I'm going to trust in him as Savior. I'm going to put my faith in what he did for me on the cross, and I'm going to begin to follow him. That's chair two. Chair three is where I become a servant. I learn to serve and I begin to work in the, in the, in the, work, uh, in the church and work uh, to advance the, the kingdom of God and the, the things that God's doing in the world. I become a part of that. And I also begin to share the gospel with others and have conversations with people about Jesus, right? And then chair four is where I'm a disciple maker and I'm reproducing myself. I can help someone else become a disciple. And so these are the four chairs that represent the four calls of Jesus on our life. And so I just want to encourage you, chair two, when I become a follower of Jesus, is when I begin to learn and add this character trait of patience to my life. I begin to grow in that. I begin to learn to look for and trust and wait on the movement of God, the direction of God in my life. Today, um, I hear a lot of Christians growing a little impatient looking for the return of Jesus. Hey, things are getting pretty bad here. We're going through a lot of adversity and difficulty. We certainly have had this plague that we've had to deal with worldwide, and there's all these things happening. What's God doing? Is Jesus going to return soon? Are we in the end times? I just want to encourage you again that uh, really the truth is, as I see the scriptures, I think it's pretty clear that we've been in the end times since Jesus went back to heaven 2,000 years ago, right? So yes, we are in the end times, and yes, things will escalate. Uh, evil will grow in its influence, right? And so we will see more things, more activity, troubles, difficulties, wars, plagues, famines, all kinds of things. These things will grow. And so yes, we are in the end times, and yes, we see this escalating. But I want to encourage you, the early church was also growing impatient 
for the return of Jesus. They're like, when is he coming back? We're ready. We're under persecution. We're facing difficulty. Peter, the apostle, wrote in the book of 2 Peter, chapter 3, starting in verse 8, he wrote these words. To the early church, in the first, before uh, it had even been 100 years uh, after, since Jesus had uh, left the earth, he said this, but you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, <clears throat> but wants everyone to repent. But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise, and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire, and the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. Since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives you should live, looking forward to the day of God and hurrying it along. On that day, he will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in flames. But we are looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth. He has promised a world filled with God's righteousness. And so, dear friends, while you are waiting for these things to happen, listen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. And remember this, our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. Again, we need to stay focused, right? Jesus will return, and, and, uh, and our job is to be ready for his return. But it's also to be at work, to be actively involved in what God is doing in the meantime. The reason he delays his return is so more people can get into heaven. <laughs> and so we need to desire that same thing. God, as you delay, would you help me help other people to get into heaven, to get saved, to find out about Jesus? And I'm going to tell you guys, we have a tremendous opportunity right now. I'm sure you see it just like I do, that we live in unprecedented times. That God has shaken things. <laughs> He's shaken people's foundations and the things that we grab onto and look to, right? And that leaves us in a spot of openness. And so the world around us, uh, guys, is looking. There's a desire to know what's happening and what's going on. And there's folks in our church having conversations with people about Jesus at the gas pumps, right? At the most... Uh, uncommon places, but the, the places where it should be happening, which is in our day-to-day -day lives. Again, in our discipleship uh, language, chair three and chair four people are sharing Jesus with people. They're looking to have conversations about spiritual things. They're open to God using them to, uh, to have a conversation with somebody about the gospel, the good news. Right now, we have, about, uh, we have a discipleship core class that we've started. We have about 25 people or so in that. We've split into two groups, so we don't have too big of groups. And, and we're learning and being challenged to have these conversations. And uh, one of our classes is led by one of our elders, Dan Howard. And he's challenged his class one week. He said, listen, when's the last time you guys had a conversation with somebody about Jesus? <laughs> or a spiritual conversation of any kind? When's the last time? And everybody kind of goes, eh, probably not for a long time, if ever, right? And, and we got to grow in this. we gotta, we got to move in this direction. And so he challenged his class. This week, I want to see you talk to somebody, right? Just look for an opportunity, pray that God would bring that to you, and then step into it. Well, there was uh, one lady in the class that takes her granddaughters to Awana. And after Awana, they were going through the, the McDonald's drive-thru. And they got up to the counter, and there was nobody in line, right? It's kind of... Uh, slow night and the, the young man that was at the counter or at the window there serving them their food said hey what have you guys been doing uh, because they had their uniforms on and everything and so this woman said well 
We were just at a Bible club for kids where they learn how they can know for sure that they're going to heaven when they die because of the work of Jesus and their faith and trust in him, right? Or something to that effect. Very simple little response. And the young man said, oh. And then they got their food and left. And the little granddaughter said, man, Grandma, that's awesome that you shared the gospel with that. That's what we should be doing in our life. Listen, um, uh, there's little things that we can do if we're ready and willing. And, and we need to step into this moment because God's doing something here. Don't lose focus. Don't lose sight of the fact that we live in a time that may not come again. We can get distracted by all the stuff going on in the world. Where are we going politically? Where's our country going to end up? What's going to happen? Listen, God wants to use you right now to share uh, good news with somebody else. Are you willing? Are you ready? Right? Uh, let's just step into this moment and be, uh, make the most of it. I don't know if we'll see it again. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, right? But, uh, but God's moving right now. Abram decides to go with Sarai's idea to take a shortcut to getting a child, one who would carry on the family name and legacy. There was great pressure on women to provide a son or an heir for their husbands in, in Sarai's time. And there certainly is a little bit of that today, but in this time that Abram and Sarai lived, it was a tremendous amount of pressure because this was the future of the family. Abram had built up a great uh, uh, household, huge tribe. And without a, an heir to pass on that name, to pass it on to, it would just uh, go to someone else It was not part of the family. This was a big deal. There was a great deal of pressure on Sarai to, to figure this out. And so um, perhaps because of that pressure, she comes up with this idea, a shortcut to the fulfillment of God's will for them. Abram and Sarai try to take a shortcut, and it creates problems. Let's keep reading in Genesis 16 in verse 4. So Abram had sexual relations with Hagar, and she became pregnant. But when Hagar knew she was pregnant, she began to treat her mistress Sarai with contempt. Then Sarai said to Abram, this is all your fault. You put my servant... Uh, I put my servant into your arms, but now that she's pregnant, she treats me with contempt. The Lord will show who's wrong, you or me. Mm. Tough spot. Tough spot. You know, when we take shortcuts, when we take shortcuts, and listen, you've done it, I've done it. This is something we can all relate to. When you take shortcuts, rather than waiting on God, things don't get better they get worse. Uh, the problem doesn't go away like we think it will, like we hope it will. It escalates. We had problems before, but the shortcut isn't a shortcut to success. It's a shortcut to more problems, and that's the truth of it. Now, we look at this situation from our position on our high and mighty uh, you know, uh, spots here, and we look at Abram and Sarah and go, oh, was ridiculous I mean, he could see that coming right how hard was it to figure out that might go wrong i mean come on abram like what's wrong with you dude i mean if you just thought about this for a minute you could have seen this was going to end up in a bad place and yet we do the same thing you've done it and i've done it we step in that direction we think ah, we can figure this out and so that's all they did and so yeah sarai says hey take hagar you can have a child well that's what she wanted right for her to get pregnant well, when she does, all of a sudden she thinks she's better than Sarai. Well, I'm a better wife here. I'm providing a child. And so now you have drama and conflict in the family. You have division. And of course, 
Sarai says, uh, it's your fault. Abram says, it's your fault. I know that's never happened in your house. It's happened in my house. <laughs> Sometimes we get frustrated. We start blaming each other, pointing the finger, because the problem's there. At times, out of desperation, we try to get what we want in our way rather than waiting on God for his provision. We're waiting on a job or an advancement or promotion Instead of waiting on God to provide the right spot, the right step, the right time, we press it, we we take the first opportunity that we see, and all of a sudden we're in a worse position than we were before. Waiting on a spouse, instead of waiting on God, we go fishing in the wrong spots, and then all of a sudden we go with the first person that expresses an interest in us, and instead of being lonely, now we got problems. (laughs) We got real problems. Waiting for a breakthrough in your marriage, Right now, it's being pushed. Hey, go outside your marriage. Open it up. Try other things. Get a little spice in there. Bring, bring in another partner, right? And, and this is being pushed and promoted in our culture. Brings nothing but problems. Can't figure out why it goes wrong when it does. Waiting for your way, wayward child to come back. Well, you get confrontational, argumentative. You push them. And instead of getting them, pulling them in, you push them away. Taking matters into our own hands uh, is a result of sin and Shortcuts are never part of God's plan for us. We end up creating more problems, as I said. We make the situation worse rather than better, but it's our nature to do this at times. We try. We want to fix things. We want to get what we want instead of waiting on God. Unfortunately, this story of Sarai becomes a bad, uh, in this story, Sarai becomes the bad influence. She becomes the one pushing in the wrong direction. And listen, this can happen in our families, Uh, We can all be guilty of this, Um, and so it's not uh, to point the finger at one person or the other, but sometimes it's within our own families that we're trying to deal with a situation, figure out a solution. We come up with a a shortcut rather than waiting on God. The New Testament, again, the Apostle Peter teaches about false guides or people that would push us and lead us in the wrong direction. 2 Peter 2 Starting verse 17, he says this, these people, speaking of false teachers, people that propose things and push things that are wrong, these people are useless, um, as useless as dried up springs or as mist blown away by the wind. They are doomed to the blackest darkness. They brag about themselves with empty foolish boasting. With an appeal to twisted sexual desires, they lure back into sin those who have barely escaped from a lifestyle of deception. They promise freedom, But they themselves are slaves to sin and corruption. For you are a slave to whatever controls you. And when people escape from the wickedness of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and then they get tangled up and enslaved by sin again, they're worse off than before. It would be better if they had never known the way of righteousness than to know it and then reject the command that they were given to live a holy life. They prove the truth of this proverb. A dog returns to its vomit, and another says, a washed pig returns to the mud. <laughs> kind of harsh, but it's true. It's true of us. We've got to be careful. We don't listen to that false uh, direction, that false counsel that is pushing us away from what God wants us to do. Sometimes we've even got to stand against those, as I said, even in our own family. And it's not to demonize your spouse or to say that someone else is trying to lead you in the wrong direction. But if we're going to follow God, we've got to listen to him. And we've got to know his direction, his standards for our lives. 
In the words, in words we live by, <clears throat> Brian Burrell tells of an armed robber named Dennis Lee Curtis who was arrested back in 1992 in Rapid City, South Dakota. Um, he, uh, he was a robber or a thief, but he had some scruples. He had some rules to live by. They found in his wallet when the police caught him and arrested him, they found in his wallet uh, a code that he lived by. He said this, I will not kill anyone unless I have to. I will, not, I will take cash and food stamps, no checks. I will rob only at night. I will not wear a mask. I will not rob mini marts or 7-Elevens. If I get chased by the cops on foot, I'll run and escape. But if I get chased in a car, I'll stop. I'm not going to put uh, innocent citizens at risk in a high-speed car chase. I'll rob only seven months out of the year. And I will enjoy robbing from the rich to give to the poor. Now, he had a code of ethics, but certainly that's not what he was judged by when he went to court. Right? He wasn't judged by his own code. He was judged by the law of the land. Sometimes we think we're going to stand before God and we're going to create our little standard that we're going to be judged by. We can come up with it. The truth is God has the standard that he set for us and he's the one that's going to judge us. And so we've got to be careful that we understand his code. We understand his, uh, his standard for us. The Bible gives us some instruction in this. That's why it's important we're reading the scriptures and we're learning what God has to say about how we should live. When it comes to honesty... The Bible says in Proverbs 11.3, honesty guides good people, dishonesty destroys treacherous people. Sexual morality, 1 Corinthians 6.17, but the person is joined to the Lord is one, is one spirit with him. Run from sexual sin. No other sin is, so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. How about the treatment of others? Proverbs 16, 28. A troublemaker plants seeds of strife. Gossip separates the best of friends. Financial dealings, Romans 13. Give to everyone what you owe them. Pay your taxes and government fees. Uh, to those who collect them and give respect and honor to those who are in authority. How about uh, the direction of your worship? Romans 12, 1 and 2. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Then uh, let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way we worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person, by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. How about who you fear? Proverbs 29, 25. Fearing people is a dangerous trap, but trusting the Lord means safety. How about contentment? Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. Don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. For God has said, I will never, fa I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, so I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? If you're in chair two, you're growing as a follower. It means you're learning these things. You're learning what the scriptures teach. What is it that God tells us to live by? What is his code of conduct? What are the, <coughs> what are the character traits he wants to add into our lives? What is it he's trying to teach me so that I can begin to shift my behavior from my own direction to God's? 
so I can begin to obey him rather than myself, right? And this is how I grow as a follower of Jesus. Well, God is trying to teach Abram and Sarai to trust him. This means they must learn to focus on God and not on the fulfillment of the promise. Because they try to take matters into their own hands, the shortcut they take creates a mess. Let's continue reading Genesis 16, verse 6. See what happens next. Abram replied, look, she's your servant, so deal with her as you see fit. Then Sarai treated Hagar so harshly that she finally ran away. The angel of the Lord found Hagar beside a spring of water in the wilderness, along the road, of, along the road to Shur. The angel said to her, Hagar, Sarai's servant, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she replied. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress, submit to her authority. Then she added, or then he added, I will give you more descendants than you can count. The stress of not having a child was tough on their marriage, for sure. The stress created by the choices they made only made matters worse. Sarai blames Abram, Abram blames Sarai. Abram found himself in a tight spot. How could he sort out this mess? Stories told of two men that lived in a village, <clears throat> pretty, pretty close quarters, and they found themselves in a pretty heated argument, disagreement. They couldn't work it out. They'd just fight every time that they uh, came close to each other, just conflict that was beyond what they wanted to live with or tolerate. Rather than kill each other, they said, we have a wise sage in the village, let's go to him. And so the first man went to the wise sage, and he told his story, told what had happened, his side of the story. And the wise sage looked at him when he was done, and he said, You're absolutely correct. He left. The next man came in, told his side of the story. He told everything that happened. And when the wise sage had listened to everything he had to say, he said to him, you're absolutely correct. The man left. The wise sage's wife came in. said, you're lying to these guys. They can't both be right. He told you different stories. And he said to his wife, you're absolutely correct. (laughs) Hey, um... Bad decisions create conflict. Trusting God and walking by faith together brings peace. Why do we keep trying to do things our own way instead of learning to trust God and follow His direction? Well, fortunately, in this situation that Abram and Sarai create because of their desire to take a shortcut, God does not abandon them. Okay, An incredible mess is created. Sarai and Hagar can't get along. Uh, it's just World War III in Abram's house. I'm sure he was, everybody was just happy. You know how it is when there's conflict in your home. It's just wonderful. And so, I mean, Abram's probably pulling his hair out. He's ready for this to be over. Can't fix it. It's a major problem. Uh, Sarai gets so cruel with Hagar that she leaves. People can be mean to each other. I don't know if you noticed that. We can be mean to each other. So Hagar takes off. Well, the angel of the Lord appears <clears throat> to Hagar. And intercedes in this situation. And she says, hey, um, and the the angel of the Lord uh, gives some direction to Hagar. Hey, go back and submit to to Sarai. Take the proper position. I'm going to take care of you. And the angel of the Lord makes a promise to Hagar similar to the promise that God has made to Abram. Right? And so God is going to keep his promise. He's going to fulfill his promise in the situation to Abram. Even though this situation is not one that we would say God, that was God's plan, right, for them. Conflict creates chaos. It stops the order 
that God wants to create in your life. <clears throat> and it stops that order from working. James, the half-brother of Jesus, in his uh, epistle says this. Uh, he gives some insight as to why we find ourselves in conflict so often. James 4, verse 1. What is causing the quarrels and fights among, among you? Don't they come from the evil desires that war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You're jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. God will work in and through our choices to accomplish His will. When we choose shortcuts, we do create problems that will affect us often in the long term. Abram's choices create lasting consequences. Let's continue reading Genesis 16 in verse 11. Finish up this story. And the angel also said, You're now pregnant and will give birth to a son. You're to name him Ishmael, which means God hears. For the Lord has heard your cry of distress. This son of yours will be a wild man, as untamed as a wild donkey. He will raise his fist against everyone, and everyone will be against him. Yes, he will live in open hostility against all his relatives. Thereafter, Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord who had spoken to her. She said, you are the God who sees me. She also said, have I truly seen the one who sees me? So that well, where she was, was named Ber Lahoi Roy, which means well of the living one who sees me. It can still be found between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar gave Abram a son, and Abram named him Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Ishmael was born. Again, God keeps his promise to Abram by blessing his son through Hagar. There's uh, thoughts often, it swirls in the Muslim world, the Christian world, that Ishmael uh, was um, um, the line through which Muhammad came. All right, uh, And then that's, um, that's something that's out there that's talked about even uh, within the Muslim religion. From what I could tell, um, the Muslims make up genealogies, uh, and so that religion has a habit of doing that, so it's not very trustworthy. And uh, there's different, there's even, you know, there's two different lines of Ishmael's sons who uh, the thought is that Muhammad came through those two genealogies. You can't have that, right? So, um, so it's doubtful, uh, as far as I could tell, that Muhammad came through Ishmael, though we, we kind of think that. You know, Abram's uh, mistake here or his bad decision created you know, a problem for the Hebrew people. Nonetheless, it still created a lasting issue that created conflict within Abram's family. This problem does not end in his lifetime nor in, uh, for generations after him. Genesis 25 verse 18 tells us this, Ishmael's descendants occupied the region from uh, Havilah to Shur, which is east of Egypt in the direction of Assur. They lived in open hostility towards all their relatives. So this, this decision that Abram makes creates conflict for his family, and that continues on. The truth is, guys, that there are no shortcuts to um, seeing God's will done in our lives. He works with us when we decide to step out of his will, when we take shortcuts and go against what he's directed us. We, go, we decide not to wait on him. But I want to encourage you with this, that one day, all of us will stand before God in judgment, and we will give an accounting for our lives. And we're going to be asked, right, what is the reason uh, that we should be allowed into heaven? And we're all going to want there. 
We're all going to want into heaven. There's people that joke about it. I want to go to hell. That's where all my buddies are going to be. That's where the party's at, right? And that's just, uh, that's just silliness. I mean, you don't know what the people that say that, what they're doing at night when they're at home alone in their bed and they're crying in their pillow because they have no relationships, they have no tr- hope, they have no faith in God. You don't know what goes on. Don't trust what people say in public, right? That's not reality. The truth is that we all know, and most will admit it, in, in moments of, of weakness, in moments of honesty, that we need God and we want to know where we stand with God. And so the truth is that we're going to stand before God and that moment's going to come. And there is not a shortcut to getting into heaven. You don't get to say, well, I did some good things over here. I was a good person. I was better than my neighbor. That's not going to work. The truth is the only way to heaven is to put your faith and trust in what Jesus did for you on the cross when he died to pay for your sin. And your faith in that, your trust in that, is the only way to access heaven and eternity with God. And so I want to call you today to make that choice, to make that decision, to put your trust in him, because it's the only way in. If you already know and trust in Jesus, can I call us to stop taking the shortcuts that we try to take, to believe that we can get around the rules that God's given to us, the instructions he's given to us. Instead, let's follow him. Recommit ourselves to, uh, to um, a passionate pursuit of Jesus and his plan for our life. Listen, that's where life is found. That's where hope is found. That's the life God wants to give us. So many people get frustrated with the Christian life. Well, it doesn't work. It doesn't work if we don't follow it, right? It doesn't work if we aren't obedient to God. Because blessing comes from obedience. That's how we access the blessings of God. And so can I just encourage you once again, Christian, commit yourself to being obedient to God. That's how you're going to access the blessings God wants to give you. It's just the principle. It's the way that things are. There's no shortcut to it. And so uh, if you haven't put your trust in Jesus and you want to do that, would you find me after the service? I'd love to talk to you, share the gospel with you, and help you know for sure you're going to spend eternity with God in heaven. God, thank you for your call on our lives. Thank you for uh, the love that you have for us, the way that you continue to work with us in spite of the shortcuts we try to take and the ways we try to get around your will or even your commands. God, I pray for each one here. I pray for myself, God, that we would move into a season of obedience. We'd move into a season where we recommit ourselves to to walk with you, to know your instructions, to know your principles, your, your, um, your teaching to us, and then follow it. Be obedient to it. God, we want to be your people. We want to live in this land, and we want to be blessed. We want to prosper. We want to be ones that could be lifted up as a, salt and light those who know the way to you and god i pray that you'd help us to walk in that help us to live out such a way people can see you in our lives i pray this in jesus name amen